Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. So my name is Will Couchman. I've been a member of this church for about, I think it's going on about 14 years now. Um, So showing my age. Thank you. The scripture for today is from Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 to 29. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king! You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty." They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, "'Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace?' "'Yes, your majesty, we certainly did,' they replied." 
Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other god who can rescue like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Will. Apologies for the lovely sounds coming from my microphone. Hopefully we've got that resolved now. Um, Yeah, so uh, it's been a good week this week of Olympic sports. Anybody into sports in the room? There's a good number of hands up there. Anybody been enjoying watching the Olympics this last week or week or two? Yeah, good number of hands. I've been uh, just watching some of the highlights and I I love the Olympics. You know, um, for those of you who don't know, uh, I actually did uh, my degree at university was physical education and youth sport um, at Sheffield Hallam University. And there are some Hallam students here today. so, yeah, I, I actually spent a lot of my time learning how to, uh, to, to do and teach a lot of the sports that I'm, I was, I'm watching in the Olympics, the different events. And so I'm actually um, proof that you don't need to be good at something in order to teach it. Um, because, you know, I watch what some of these people are capable of, and I'm, uh, some of them, are, they're able to jump literally twice as far as I can, or twice as high as I can. They can run things and swim things twice as far or twice as fast as I can. Uh, I can't help but watch these guys, and these guys are, are the best in the world. They're the elite at what they do. And I just, I'm absolutely amazed by what they're capable of. You know, there's some who are as young as 13, 14, 15, competing and winning medals at the Olympics, doing things that many of us could only actually dream of being able to do it. I just find it amazing. But here's a question for everybody in the room here today and everybody watching online. What do you think it takes for God to be amazed by us? What do you think it takes for God to be amazed? Now, some of you might uh, think you know the answer to this. Some of you maybe uh, you think, oh, I haven't got a clue. Maybe some of you here, and you're like, I don't even know if I believe that God exists, let alone what amazes him. So just to, to give you uh, the answer here, um, there's actually only two times in the New Testament where it describes Jesus as having been amazed. So the first is actually found in Matthew chapter 8, where uh, Jesus uh, meets a, a Roman centurion. And this Roman centurion, his, his servant is, uh, is essentially paralyzed, he's, he's sick. And, and so Jesus actually offers to go to the, the, the centurion's house to heal the servant. But the, the, the centurion actually responds differently. It says this, 
The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. So this first example of where we see that Jesus is amazed, it's not by what the centurion knows, it's not by what he can do, it's by his faith. And the second example is slightly different to this one. Uh, Actually, the second example is found in Mark chapter 6. And Jesus is actually back in his hometown, Nazareth, and he's preaching and he's uh, praying for people and people are getting healed. And and initially, everybody's super impressed with Jesus and it says that they are amazed. But then after a while, some of them begin to recognize Jesus. They begin to recognize him and think, hang on, this is Jesus, son of Mary and Joseph. This is, uh, this is the son of the carpenter. Like, he's nobody special, and they're almost offended by him. And actually, it says that they kind of reject him, and as a result, there's, only, uh, there's not much he can do there. He's actually unable to, uh, to heal people, and, and essentially he's just rejected by them. And it says this in verse 6. It says, And he was amazed at their unbelief. So there's only two times in Scripture where it says that Jesus was amazed. And neither of them have anything to do with what somebody is able to do. It has nothing to do with what they know. It has everything to do with their level of faith. Now, I think if if we were to uh, amaze Jesus for either our lack of faith or our great faith, I think we would all like to think that it would be for our great faith, right? Nobody wants to be amazing Jesus for our lack of faith here. We all want to, ha- want to amaze him by a-, a great faith. But the reality is, actually, I think we struggle with faith at times. Because life is hard, right? Life throws so much at us. Life can be relentless at times. And we can grow weary, and sometimes it can just be easy to think, well, this is the norm. This is just how life is. <clears throat> and you can start to think... Is God really going to come through for me? Can God do this? Faith at times is hard to come by. So that then leads us to our our big question for today, which is this. How do we live a life of big faith? How do we live a life of big faith? Well, another great example of big faith like the centurion showed is actually in the scripture that Will read for us earlier that we find in Daniel chapter 3. Now, this is actually a fairly well-known passage by uh, those of you who have been around church for a long time. Um, But before we get into it, I want to just give a little bit of background as to exactly what is happening in Israel's history at this point. See, Israel has actually been uh, essentially conquered and led into exile by the Babylonians. Now, the Babylonians were a major force of their time. In fact, they were kind of like the, the Nazi party of their day. And their king, King Nebuchadnezzar, 
he was essentially like the Hitler of their day. He was a tyrant, uh, power-hungry dictator of a leader. And he, would, he was going from nation to nation, conquering them. And he would, it seems, with every nation he conquered, he would take those who are the, the affluent, those who are the, the uh, high status, the educated, and he would put them under his service. He would make them his servants as a way of kind of uh, just declaring his power and showing off what he could do, as, as well as indoctrinating those nations into his way of belief, his systems. And that's actually the case for the three main characters in our story today, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were uh, noblemen and royalty that educated who uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had captured and forced to be his servants. But the interesting thing is actually uh, Daniel chapter 1 tells us that actually they're not called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's actually not their names. You see, that is actually the, the Babylonian names that um, King Nebuchadnezzar used to replace their Hebrew names which gave uh, glory to the Hebrew garden. Actually, he replaced it with names that gave glory to pagan Babylonian gods. And so not only does he lead them into exile, he strips them of their name. This would have been a hugely dishonoring thing for the, for the, uh, for the Israelites. But not only that, he then also forces them to study the customs and the, the teachings and the literature and the ways of the Babylonian people. Again, he's trying to indoctrinate them. It's almost a way of showing off his power and making sure that all these nations that he's conquered come under his way of thinking and his rule. And so they are completely oppressed. And then one day, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he decides to make a huge golden statue. It says uh, in that passage that the statue is about 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. This is a huge colossal statue. And he makes a decree that says every person should bow down and worship every time they hear the music playing, that they should bow down and worship this statue. And so he, he has this big dedication ceremony where uh, everybody has to come and they have to bow down to, the worship, uh, to worship when they hear the music. And, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't show up. And now we see in this story that actually uh, some of the astrologers who is likely they had it in for the Israelite people, they didn't like them too much. And so they actually go to King Nebuchadnezzar and they drop Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in it. And being the power-hungry dictator that King Nebuchadnezzar is, he is furious. He is fuming. And so he has them called in for questioning. And this is where we pick up the story. It says, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to, to rescue you from my power? So he's fuming. He's kind of thinking, surely you didn't deliberately obey me. Like with all the power that I have, you didn't deliberately obey me. So I'm going to give you one more chance to obey, to show me that you are actually going to submit and that you are actually going to bow down to my God. But just in case it wasn't a mistake, I just want to say, I just want to remind you, no God is more powerful than me. Your God isn't capable of saving you. He's now taunting them. Now, if you were to put yourself 
in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's shoes at this point. Now, just think about their journey. These guys were, uh, as it says in Daniel 1, they were noblemen and royalty. They were the educated upper class. They were the privileged, those who were considered um, in high esteem in culture. You know, these guys had it all. They had a good life. And then suddenly, this, uh, this Babylonian kingdom comes and they, they conquer their people. And they drag them away into exile, change their names, force them to learn their customs and culture and serve the king who, who essentially captured their nation. They're completely oppressed. And if we were to actually uh, look at their past experiences and, and we were to predict their level of faith, based on what they had experienced, I think we would all predict that they would be expecting that around about now they're either going to have to bow down or die, right? But that's actually not how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond. It says this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. I love, I mean, I don't know if this is how it's intended to be written or if this is exactly how it says it, but I love how kind of like, mocking that sounds, how patronizing we're so, oh, oh Nebuchadnezzar, oh, Nebi, <laughs> you're so funny. If we don't need to defend ourselves against you, <laughs> what were you thinking? And it says, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Wow. Like, this is incredible, big faith. Now just picture yourself in their situation right now. <clears throat> you are stood before the king, the tyrant king that you know, the one who led your people into captivity, who's forced you to be a servant. He stood before you, furious. He's fuming. You can see the, the veins bulging in his head as he glares at you, waiting for your decision. You're surrounded by his guards, who at any moment are willing to follow the order to kill you. You can feel the heat of the furnace in the background. You can smell its smoke. You're looking around the room, and, and he gives you your options. It says, option A is you bow down and worship my God. Option B, you die. You're looking around at your options. How many of us would go, I'll go with option C. Don't die. Don't bow down and our God saves us. That requires some big faith. And notice in this passage how it doesn't just say that God is able to save us. They go on to say, he will save us. I mean, this almost sounds kind of presumptuous when we read it. How many of us feel that boldness, that confidence in when we're facing a difficult situation, when we're facing trials to say, you know what, actually God will do this. God will do that. It kind of sounds almost arrogant or presumptuous or foolish. But they're not being arrogant. They're not being presumptuous. They're not being foolish. In fact, they're not actually done talking. They go on to say this. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have set up. He will save us. 
But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to your gods. What is that? See, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're actually living out and showing us right now a tension that as Christians we all have to face. See, as Christians, we have to live in the tension of faith in God and faithfulness to God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing there with big faith saying, God, our God will come through to us. But even if he doesn't, we will be faithful. How is it that they can have this faith that enables them to just say that God will, but even if he doesn't, I will be faithful? And how is it that we today can continue to have big faith in what God can do, in God moving in our lives, but continue to remain faithful to him when things don't go how we expect? Well, I believe it's actually a, a case of where their faith is rooted. You see, I think most of us, when it comes to faith, we're, we're looking for our circumstances, our outcomes in life, to determine what we believe about who God is, to what we believe about what he's capable of. You know, I'll give you a few examples of this. You know, I, I, I passed my exams. God was with me. He, he helps me. He gets me through things. I failed my exams. God wasn't with me. I'm on my own. I have to make this happen. I got the job. God provides for me. I didn't get the job. God doesn't provide for me. I need to do it myself. I got healed. God heals me. He sees my pain and suffering and he's kind and compassionate. I didn't get healed. God doesn't want to heal me. Maybe he can't heal me. Maybe I just have to live with this for the rest of my life. Maybe this is how it's always going to be. It can be so easy to see, to let our outcomes determine our faith. And I just want to say, you know, it is good to believe for all of those things. Believe for healing. Believe for God to provide you with a job. Believe for him to move in your circumstances. That's exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are doing in this story. They're saying, God will do this. But here's the thing. I can stand here and tell you that I have uh, been prayed for to receive healing, and I've actually been healed of things, miraculously. But I've also been prayed for, and I've not been healed. I've prayed, and, and I've been given jobs, and I've been rejected for jobs. I can tell you that I have passed and failed exams. And so if my faith is grounded in the outcomes, my faith is going to be all over the place. And I think all of us here have times where we can uh, think about experiences in our past, painful or negative experiences in our past, where uh, we ca it can cause us to question our faith. And the, the disappointment and the, the hurt of these is very real. 
And maybe for you, uh, you were believing for a miracle of some sort and it just hasn't happened. Maybe uh, you have been praying for that job and it, it hasn't come through yet. Or that career plan that you were hoping to go down and it just didn't work out. Maybe you are, uh, there's a relationship that didn't work out. Or maybe you're kind of like, I was hoping to be married by this point, and it hasn't happened. Maybe uh, you've been trying to conceive for a long time, and that just hasn't happened. There's so many different situations in life that are challenging, that are hard, that hurt. And, and the hurt and the disappointment of those is real. And if we have to base our faith on our outcomes then at best, our faith is going to be like a roller coaster ride. So it is good to believe for all of those things. The reason I'm telling you this is not so that you go home thinking, oh, I shouldn't have faith for God to do this. I shouldn't expect for this to happen. I shouldn't believe for this. In fact, actually, the complete opposite. I actually want you to leave here today with greater faith than ever before that God can and will move in your circumstances and in your life. But the point I'm trying to make is that if we are to have that kind of faith, then it is not grounded in the outcomes. Our faith has to be grounded in the character of God. Put another way, I would say, our faith is not rooted in what God can do, but who he is. Our faith is not rooted in what God can do, but who he is. Now, many of you will know uh, this story, but um, just over eight years ago, I, I lost two of my closest friends in a car crash. And um, as I share this story, as I talk about this with people, almost every time the number one question that I get asked is, how did that affect your faith? Or how has that impacted your relationship with God? And the thing is, without fail, Without hesitation, every time I can say, it grew my faith. It actually increased my faith, and I felt closer to God as a result of it. Now, the thing is, I was actually believing for, I had faith for, God to raise my friends from the dead. I was actually praying for that. You know, at one point, I was actually thinking, maybe, maybe God allowed this to happen because he wants to raise them from the dead. And then, then he's going to be glorified, and, and revival's going to break out. And so I was praying, God, would you raise them from the dead? But obviously, that didn't happen. So how is it that I was able to uh, come out of this experience with my faith increased? Well, there was a defining moment for me uh, in this process, just a few days after the incident happened, and um, I was alone with Jesus, and uh, again, just praying for a miracle, and uh, I just felt like uh, God said, they're not coming back. And that was kind of not what I wanted to hear in that moment. I, I think there's some of me that was still in denial. I didn't want to accept the situation. I didn't want to accept what was going on. But I remember it was just it was spoken so softly and gently to me. And I, I just, uh, in that moment, I began to pray. And I just, this is the defining moment for me. I just said, Jesus, I don't know why this has happened. And I don't know how this is all going to end up. I don't even know how to go about the rest of this day, let alone the weeks and months ahead. But I choose now to believe that you are good. 
I choose to believe that you are with me. And I choose to believe that you will see me through this. I was in that moment, I chose to put my faith not just in what God can do, but in who he was. I chose to believe that despite the outcome, that he is still good and that he is still with me and that he is still able to work in me. I think a lot of us, uh, when we experience these situations, it can be easy to, to push God away. To actually kind of hold him at arm's length, almost accuse God, say, God, why have you allowed this to happen? But it's actually when we uh, don't ask the question why, we ask the question, God, where are you in this? Not in an accusatory way, but just, God, I want to find you in the midst of this. That we are able to experience him regardless of our circumstances. There's a a scripture in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians, where Paul is talking about this. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Now, I can stand here today and say, I know that that scripture is true. Because while I still don't have the answers as to why things happened, I don't have the answers to to those, I do have the answers to where God was in the midst of it, and he was with me. You know, the months after this were some of the months where I experienced his love, his compassion, his grace, his presence, his comfort and healing more than any other time in my life. And as a result, I began to discover who he is. And the amazing thing is, I stand here now with more faith than ever before that God can raise somebody from the dead, that God can and will do miracles. But it's not because I'm believing in what he's capable of, it's because I know who he is. And he is a God who is with us. You see, a life of big faith is rooted in his character. A life of big faith is rooted in his character. I actually believe that this is the the thing that enabled Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to exercise such great faith, as well as faithfulness. It enabled them to live that tension of, I have faith that God will do this, but I will be faithful even if he doesn't because I know who he is. I know that he is with me and I know that he will see me through anything. Now, most of you uh, who have heard this story before, you will know how the story ends, um, but it actually has a very happy ending. Um, But uh, to begin with, things don't seem to be so happy because uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, in response to uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he's even more furious. He's so furious, in fact, that he orders for the the fire to be made seven times hotter than usual, and he has them bound and thrown into it. How many of you know the significance of the fire being made seven times hotter? It means it was really hot. Like if we were to put this on a scale of curries, 
Like, this is a vindaloo kind of hot. This is so hot, in fact, that as they're, as they're thrown into the fire by the guards, the guards, just by getting close to it, literally drop dead. They died in the process of throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. And so they're in the fire, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar, he's, he's looking at them with his evil, dictatorial, um, tyrannical eyes, and he's looking into the fire, probably initially just gleaming with, ah, see, I am so powerful. But then he looks and says, things don't look as I expected them to. Something's not right here. And he, he suddenly calls out and he says this, look, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Bear in mind, this is the one who was taunting them earlier about him, him being more powerful than their God. Suddenly he's changed his tune dramatically. He says, come here. And so they come out of the fire. Now I, I love how Jesus responds to this situation. See, God could have done anything. He could have uh, struck uh, the Babylonians and just wiped them out. He could have killed King Nebuchadnezzar. He could have killed the guards. He could have uh, caused a distraction that enabled them to, to escape. But he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't actually change their circumstances. Instead, he actually steps into them. Now, I love how uh, Pete Gregg, the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, said it. He says, we all want God to airlift us out of our problems. And sometimes he does. But more often, he parachutes in and joins us in the midst of our trouble. So we all look for this opportunity, this avenue for God to, to take us out, to change our circumstances, to pull us out of our problems. But actually, he wants to parachute into our problems and walk with us through it. See, I actually think that sometimes God doesn't change our circumstances. God doesn't give us the miracles that we're looking for because he has something better for us. He actually wants us to experience something about him in the process. Sometimes he actually uh, doesn't change our circumstances because he wants to use our circumstances to reveal himself to us. This is what it means to be people of faith, people of big faith to believe that God can change our circumstances, but to believe that when he doesn't, that he is able to see us through it because he is God, that he is good. When you, begin, when you learn who God is, that is when our faith is rooted in such a way that we can live full of faith regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the outcome. It's a faith that says, I have faith that you will, but even if you don't, I will be faithful because I know who you are. So as we close, what are you going through right now? What problems and obstacles are you facing in your faith? Are there areas where maybe you have begun to, to lose faith because you've grown weary of not seeing the outcomes that you want to see? I want to encourage you to take that step of just not saying, God, why? 
But God, where are you in the midst of this? Would you show yourself to me? I think some of you actually need to give God permission to parachute into your problems. I believe that's actually what God wants to do for many of us this morning. And so as a way to respond, uh, I just want to take some time to just pray and invite God into our hearts, to actually invite him to reveal who he is so that we can believe again, so that our faith can be reignited in us. So would you join with me as we pray? Jesus, we thank you that, that you are a loving, kind, compassionate, faithful God. You're a God who longs to parachute into our problems. You're a God who longs to walk with us, to step into the fire. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.